The Lord says through Ezekiel that salvation is not primarily for the one being saved. Does that sound strange to you? That your salvation is not primarily for you. What is it for? It's for the Lord. The glory of his name. So let's hear that as he speaks to Israel in captivity before they're delivered out of captivity. The passage is Ezekiel 36. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it, and bring no famine upon you. I will multiply the fruit of the the trees and the increase of your fields, so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds, that are not good, and you will loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on that day I will cleanse you from all your iniquities. I will enable you to dwell in the cities and in the ruins." Then the nations which are left around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock. So what was the key phrase? I will. Is that a promise? Is it as good as done when he said it? Because he's all-powerful. Is that comforting? I will save you for my own sake, namesake. That is comforting to me. Let's prepare to uh, worship the one who says, I will. Let us uh, take a moment in silent meditation.
Amen. Please rise now as we hear the, our, the call of our Heavenly Father. Again, 570 is the hymn that we know, and then we'll be singing uh, Psalm 103, the uh, uh, C version of it. So let's begin. Uh, I should begin with the call to worship. I'm sorry. I was so, so involved on that, uh, in that passage. Hear the call of our God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all you angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heaven of heavens and the, hev- and the waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now, is it E? Oh, okay. Type, oh, it is E. I can't see. All right. Let us turn to uh, uh, 103E, and, but let's start with praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let's join in that praise. turn to 103E. O come, my soul, bless thou the Lord thy maker.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do want to bless you, for you have blessed us. We pray that you would enable us, as this hymn does, focusing our attention on the heavens, focus the attention on you, enthroned on high, ruling over heaven and earth. Heaven rules earth now. You rule earth now. And so we gather together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you that you have granted to us the privilege of being called into your presence in a special way here and right now. We pray that you would enable us to set aside anything that hinders, uh, confessing our sins, believing and trusting in Christ alone for salvation, and also declaring him as Lord. And so we ask, O oh Lord, that you'd equip us to uh, do your will, as it says, uh, bless him, ye servants, who delight to do his will. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Notice this section is um, in the bulletin is stated, the Lord propitiated our sins. What does that mean, the Lord propitiated? The Lord became, Jesus became the wrath-removing sacrifice for our sins. So the question is, have you sinned against God? Do you need Jesus Christ? Do you need his cross? Do you need his wrath-removing sacrifice? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you, and as we read this portion of your word, and it talks about the righteous and your deliverance of us, of the righteous, out of every evil, out of every trouble, we know that in ourselves, according to your word, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks after you. There is none that does good. No, not one. And so we know that in ourselves, in our righteousness, in our acts, in our thoughts, in, our, in the exercise of our will, uh, there d- dwells no good thing. Um, in Adam, we are dead. We're separated from you. 
who is life. And so we do want to come to you and acknowledge that our salvation is only in the work, the person and work of Jesus Christ, sent to us from God the Father. And we thank you also that the Holy Spirit is involved here as well in applying the work of Christ. And so we acknowledge our total dependence upon you. We acknowledge that the only thing that we have contributed, contributed in our salvation is our sin, our rebellion against you. We know that you are just and must punish sin. We do want to confess our sins. We hate them. We do not want to do them. They are war against us. We do acknowledge that we are in need of help. We need our need of grace. We can't do anything apart from your will. So we look to you once again, not only for salvation, but also for sanctification, for the cleansing of our sins. And so we look to Jesus Christ, his death on the cross once for all. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your love toward us was evident. We know it. You displayed it. And you also declared, you're declared to be God in the resurrection. That you are the the God-man who substituted for us, who is our Savior and who is our Lord. And so we do uh, confess our faith in you acknowledging that it is only by faith that we are saved, and that is a gift from you as well. And so we exercise that faith. For those that do not know you, we pray that you do that work in their hearts, that they would trust in you alone. Enable us all to do that, to trust in you alone for salvation. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, we now have an opportunity to say thank you. Thank you to God for what he's done for us. Uh, our hymn this, this morning is, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Thy Praise. And so, again, the idea that God is doing that work in us to be able to glorify him. So 429 in the hymnal, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, as we rejoice in and uh, celebrate what, you, what God has done for us.
Is that your prayer? Did you just sing those words because they're in the hymnal? Or did you sing them to the Lord as a prayer? Again, take my heart and seal it for your courts above. Is that a prayer? Is that your desire? I need God to intervene and seal my heart and take my heart because it does wander. Is that true? Does your heart wander? Yeah. God, may, may God give us the grace. Grant, grant this that we sang. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so keep that hymnal. Please be seated. Keep that hymnal in your hand and turn with me to page number 852. And if you notice, again in the bulletin, now we're switching to the Lord consecrates us for his service. And so again, what are we doing? This is a reminder. What are we doing in the service? First, we're dealing with what separates us from God, that is our sins. And what are we doing now? Well, we have to restore the relationship that was broken by our sin. Is Jesus Lord? When we sin, we say no, right? When we sin, we say, I'm Lord. I want to do what I want to do. But now we've confessed those, but we need to renew the relationship now. And that's what we're doing throughout this section. And so one of the ways to do that is to confess our faith. What is it you believe? And so this morning we're using the Nicene Creed as a summary, and it is found on page 582. So we're joining with the saints for centuries that have confessed their faith. And so, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it that you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who, for us men, and for our salvation, came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Could you say that's the gospel? Is that the gospel? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit? who he is and what he does. 
Is that the gospel? Well, I have a book on my shelf, and the title of it is, God is the Gospel. Okay. It's not just the cross. It's the resurrection. It's the ascension. It's creation. It's eternity to eternity. All of that is the good news. Amen. Amen. All right, today also we have the, uh, 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 the last section on the rejection of errors in the Canons of Dort for third and fourth head of doctrine. The corruption of man is conversion to God and this manner thereof. And so we have two paragraphs here, paragraphs 8 to 9. I'll read the leader section, if you will please read the, uh, the dark type. The true doctrine having been explained, the synod rejects the errors of those who teach that God in the regeneration of man does not use such powers of his omnipotence as potently and infallibly uh, bend man's will to faith and conversion, but that all the works of grace having been accomplished, which God employs to convert man, man may yet so resist God and the Holy Spirit when God intends man's regeneration and wills to regenerate him, and indeed that man often does so resist that he prevents entirely his regeneration, and that it therefore remains in man's power to be regenerated or not. For this is nothing less than a denial of all the efficiency of God's grace in our conversion and the subjecting of the working of Almighty God to the will of man, which is contrary to the apostles, who teach that we believe according to the working of the strength of his might, and that God fulfills every desire of goodness and every work of faith with power, and that his divine power has granted unto us all things that pertain to life and God. We, uh, the, the synod rejects the errors of those who teach that grace and free will are partial causes which together work the beginning of conversion, and that grace, in order of working, does not precede the working of the will. That is, that God does not efficiently help the will of man unto conversion until the will of man moves and determines to do this. For the ancient church has long ago condemned this doctrine of the Pelagians according to the words of the apostle. So then it is not of him that will it, nor of him that runneth, but of God that hath mercy. Likewise, for who make it thee to differ? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? And for it is God who worketh in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What is your understanding concerning the grace of God? Almost all of us believe, there are a couple exceptions, but all of us believe that there is such thing as common grace, that God is, is gracious to all. But even this grace 
the question is, is this grace a noun, passive, or a verb, active? In other words, does God just basically put grace out there and just kind of stands back and watches to see what we do with it? Or is he involved? It's a verb. What about special grace? Or the grace of God that results in one's redemption? Is that active or is that passive? The Arminian party, these, these, are, these are quotes we're reading. Okay? This is what the Arminian party came. Came to the synod and said, we want to teach this. Is that okay? This is the response. As you notice the response that you read, what, did, what is it? It's scripture. They came back and said, this is what the Bible teaches. No, you can't teach this because it's not in the Bible. The Armenian party, in order to protect their view of the freedom of man's will, were forced to relegate the grace of God to a noun, to a passive role. Something you can give or you can take, it's all up to you. It's up to man and not God. Man may resist and often resist the will of God. But notice all the texts that were quoted. What says the scripture? It is God who wills. And is God able to do what he wants to happen? Were you here last week during the sermon? The passage that is quoted there, Ephesians 1.19, we looked at how many different words does Paul use to describe the power of God? He, he ransacks the dictionary with about four or five words to say, God is all-powerful. I pray to him for you because he is powerful. What does this teaching here say? God is, not, is powerful, but he waits until you make the first move. Who gets the glory if that's true? Who saved you, if that's true? I did. It's my will that gets the glory in heaven. I believe, and now I'm saved. Is that, is that the Arminian teaching? That's the Arminian teaching. But what says the scripture? So, we turn to the most hated chapter in the Bible. Do you know that there is, the mo- at least one author says, the most hated chapter in the Bible. Anybody know where that is? Romans chapter 9. Let's turn to that for a minute. Verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whoever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whoever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Are you hearing kind of a theme this morning? I will, I will, I will, I will. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another to dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, 
that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. It is of grace. Notice that. Secondly, notice in paragraph 9, another another error. This energy is referred to as synergism. You ever heard the word synergism? Synergism? What is it? Together. Jism, working together. What is it saying? I am saved because of what God does and what I do. We work together for my salvation. So it is grace plus faith or works. What was the Reformation's cry? Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, to the scriptures alone. What is synergism? Well, that's back across the street. Okay. Faith plus works saves you. And the deciding factor is you. You hear that difference? That's what is being taught here. And again, it's referred to as Pelagianism. Have you ever heard that phrase before, Pelagianism? That was, that was condemned by the church 1,600 years ago. You're saved by works. That's what Pelagianism is. God receives you because you're good, because you've done good things. He loves you because of what you've done for him. Is that the Bible? Are we saved by anything good that we have done? No. No, it is grace is freely given, and it is God actively working. Amen? Amen. Very good. Thank you for for hanging in there. Uh, Let us go and prepare our hearts for the message of grace. Like I said, we're we're on a theme today, a message of grace today. So let us uh, turn to 435 in our hymnal. Again, not what my hands have done. 435. Let us sing. Let's stand and sing, if you, if you can.
great? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Is it because he loved you first? We hope so and pray. Please be seated. And so please turn in your Bibles now to the Word of God found in Ephesians chapter 2. One of the most glorious passages of grace in the Bible, very clear. May the Lord bless also the preaching that the message would expound what is there rather than obscure it. Hear now the word of God, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God... who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his work of art, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these words. Yes, they are hard to hear, but yet they're important that we understand our state in Adam, our state in ourselves. But also we rejoice in the contrast, on the contrary, you. So we thank you, Lord, for that clear teaching here about your grace, about your involvement with us. From eternity to eternity, you are God and you are working your will. And so we pray that you would help us to bury this deep in our hearts, that you would do so, that you would sow the seed so that the fruit would be thankfulness. We would, be rejoice, we would rejoice in your grace, in your involvement with us, that ne- you said you'd never leave us or forsake us if we believe in you. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that you would enable us to trust in you And we thank you also that you've created us to be your work of art, the masterpiece. We pray, O Lord, that you would continue to do that work in us, 
that the things that we do would glorify you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, last Sunday we had a visitor here, and uh, he told me a piece of information I did not know, that a person that I know, and actually a person that that has attended here off and on, passed away in a motorcycle accident. And and, uh, I talked to Dan, and Dan said, oh yeah, I heard about that. He already knew about it, but I didn't. And it was uh, actually a relative of him that told me. And what was my first reaction? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What happens when you go to the doctor and the doctor says to you, I have something to report to tell you, you have cancer. What's your reaction? Oh, no. Tell me more. What kind of cancer? Is there any kind of cure for that? It's bad news, isn't it? Oh, no, I'm going to die, maybe soon. But is it good news to hear that you have it and that there's a cure? What happens if you don't receive the report that you have cancer, there's a cure, and you die? Would you rather hear the bad news? In our text today, it begins with the bad news, doesn't it? Y'all are dead, right? That's what he says. And I like what he says because he says, not only y'all are dead, but I was dead too. I join you in that. In Adam, we all died. That's what Paul is saying. If you are not in Christ, you are dead in trespasses and sins. You are separated from God. That's the bad news. Now, the good news is, but God who is rich in his mercy with his great love with which he loved us. While we were yet dead, Christ came and died, and he applies that. Is that good news? Is that the solution to the problem of cancer, in a sense, the bad news? And the answer is yes. So Paul is continuing on in what he's been saying in chapter 1, but he starts off with the negative in order that the positive is more beautiful. You know what I'm talking about? If you go to a jewelry store and you're looking at diamond rings, do they put the diamond rings on a piece of paper for you to look at? Is that where they put paper out or something white and they put the diamonds in something white or in something black or red velvet or something dark? What do they do? Have you ever been to a jewelry store? You have? What, what, what do they use as the background? Black. Why? Because it causes the, the, the ring to shine, the diamond to reflect. Your focus is on the diamond, not the background. What Paul is doing here is he's painting a black background. This is reality. This is where every human being born... Every human being conceived is born in Adam. This is the state of all men. But God, that's the diamond. But God, that's the gospel. But God, that's the grace of God. That's what he's doing here. 
So let's back up for a minute and just remind ourselves of what we've been covering. What Paul has been doing as he has been writing to the church, and if you remember in verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then he goes on to expound on what that means. So if you just have your Bibles there with me, uh, follow along. He says, The Father has chosen us in Christ before uh, for the purpose that you should be holy. He predestined us to adoption by Jesus Christ. He made us accepted in the beloved. The Son has redeemed us, and we are forgiven of our sins according to his blood. Bound for, uh, uh, with the abundance of grace, he's made known to us the mystery of his will. He's gathered all things together in Christ. He's re- he has received the inheritance, and he grants unto us faith. And then verse 13, the Holy Spirit seals this to us. And then he goes on, and we've been looking the past couple weeks in verses 15 through uh, 23, Paul prays earnestly that the church might fully comprehend these blessings. Okay? So that's what we've covered the past few weeks. Here's the grace of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and I pray that you understand this, that you comprehend it, that you grab it, that you hold on to it, that you rejoice in it. So what is he doing now? In order to help you with that, let's go back and realize who you were. Without this, you were dead. That's what he's doing. My uh, summary is kind of long this time in the, in the uh, bulletin. So many try to escape the consequences of sin by attempting to live in the world of their own creation. Is that true? Do we, are we tempted to either create our own reality or uh, we're tempted to run into another reality? be it on the internet, TV, books, whatever. Do we, do we do that? I can't handle life. I need an escape. I want to create something different, and so I create my own reality. Is that, would that be a good way to describe the 21st century person? We live in a fantasy world. We live in a world that's not necessarily true, but made up of our own mind. You have your faith, you have your truth, and I have my truth. But there's no absolute truth. There's only, it's all only based on the individual. Is that kind of language spoken today? Okay. Uh, oh, your truth offends me. Well, that's because it's the truth. It's not my truth. But God declares that such thinking and living is foolishness. For he says, a fool has said in his heart, no, God, no, God. He goes on to say they are corrupt. And they have done abominable iniquity. There is none good, no, not one. In our text, the Apostle Paul further expands on this truth and provides God's alternative perspective and corrective, namely his wonderful grace in and through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I like that. Doesn't that sound good? God's perspective and corrective. Okay, That's the text today. Here is reality. What we're reading in chapter 2 of Ephesians today is reality. It's not made up by Paul. 
Paul in his flesh, which, when he was dead in trespasses, said, would reject this. Remember his testimony. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was righteous in all the works I did. Now I count them as trash, that I may win Christ and be seen in him. So the first point, dead. God reveals your great need apart from Christ. All of us are dead from this perspective, from God's perspective. What does God mean when he, through Paul, declared that all all mankind is dead in trespasses and sins? In some ways, this statement is your death certificate. You ever thought of the Bible as your death certificate? We lost the son a little over a year ago. We had to wait months to finally get the death certificate that he had officially died and that this is the reason why he died. When did, when did, what do we have here? We have your death certificate and my death certificate. And you who were dead in trespass is in sins. And again, even when we were dead in trespasses. You ever thought of the Bible as including your death certificate? Ooh, most people don't like to do a will because they don't want to think about death, right? We try to escape it. We don't want to think about it. Yet it's helpful. And this is not the only place where he says this. If you go down further in chapter 2, verse 11, Therefore remember that you once, uh, you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by those which are called circumcision made in the flesh. And at that time you are you were without Christ, being alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers of the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Paul says that we Gentiles, most of us here are Gentiles, we were without Christ, we're outside of Christ, We had no hope. We're separated from God. He doesn't just say it there as well. If you go to chapter 4, and in verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, being alienated from the life of God. What does that mean? If I'm alienated from life, what am I? I'm dead. So he says it three different ways. We're separated from God. We're alienated from life that is in God. We are dead. So what... Paul, why are you so morbid? Is it important to know our state apart from Christ? Is it important to know that without Christ you were dead? You were separated. What happens when you physically die? Will all of a sudden magically now be united to God? 
Is there a second chance after death? Does the Bible teach that? The answer is no. It's appointed unto men once to die, and then comes judgment. So this is, uh, Paul is being that physician. How are we dead? Well, Paul says in our text, through through trespasses or transgressions and sins. Here's a way of describing it. Do you live your life consciously attempting to do so according to God's revealed will? Do you? Now, now I'm, I'm talking about in Adam, in your previous. Did you before grace consciously live every moment of your life looking forward and to understand what God's will was and try to do it? Is that the natural man? The natural man says, God, I want to do your will. Is that natural? Or is that supernatural? It's supernatural. Right? At least that's what God says. Sin is violating God's will for you. God created you for his purposes. Sin is living for yourself and not for God. Furthermore, he not only reveals to you through his word, but he also reveals to you about himself and his will in creation. Where do I get that? Romans chapter 1. The invisible things of God are clearly seen by the things that are made, even as eternal power and divinity, so that we are without excuse. The Greek word is apologia, or a defense in a court of law. No man can go into the court of God, uh, God's court and defend himself by saying, well, I did your will, I, I served you, I did these things. Why? What's your motivation? What's your goal when you do things? And so God has shown him, what do we do? We suppress that knowledge in unrighteousness, Paul says. Chapter 2, you know God's will. He has planted it in your heart. You know that you're guilty and judgment is coming and so you suppress those truths. That's the natural man. There's nobody that says that's, that truthfully says, I don't believe in God. There is no God. I, can't, I don't believe it. The Bible says that person is a fool. And that's a moral category. Not just a crazy man. That's someone who said, who's speaking against reality that he knows because God has placed it to, in him. So what what does Paul go on to do in chapter 3? He summarizes, you do not truly seek God as he would have you to do. So he summarizes that all mankind is under under sin. The problem is, is that we have a tendency to uh, ignore that and, and compare ourselves with somebody else. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. That person's a murderer. I haven't killed anyone. Well, if the wages of sin is death, what have you done every time you sin? You've committed self-murder. You are guilty. You go to prison. You go to death row. Is there any prison still have a death row? Is Is there any prison in the United States? Is there still a prison that has death row? Do they still execute 
people? Okay, there he is. If you were to go to them and go to a, one of the prisoners on death row and you were to ask them, are you, are, the, are you the most wicked person in the prison? They would say what? No. I may be bad, I may have done this, but this guy over here, he's worse than me. And if you were to go to him and say, well, what do you, are you the worst man in the prison? He would say, no, <laughs> he's worse than me. When we compare ourselves to each other, we come off very self-righteous. But what does the Bible say? Our righteousness are as filthy rags in the sight of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, Paul says. And Paul isn't making it up. He's quoting the Psalms. Old and New Testament say the same thing. God, through Paul, further explains what it means to be dead in trespasses and sins. And he says, according to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Or actually, the order is the world, the devil, and the flesh. Notice that in verse 2. In which we once walked, conducted our lives according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of, of the air among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the desires of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We all fail to do God's will, right? This is a very unpopular message today, is it not? I'm not that bad. He's worse than me. Right? And we presume upon the goodness of God. That's the frightening thing. So I, you and I, in our natural state, are at war with God and his revealed will. Therefore, we are alienated from life that is in him. We are dead without life. That's what Paul is saying. In our natural state, born in Adam, raised in Adam, unless God intervenes, we are separated from life, we are dead. You are dead if you haven't trusted in Christ alone for salvation. At least that's what God says. Do you understand the serious nature of what God is saying right now through his word? Why such a black picture? Because we have verse 4. But God, on the contrary, God. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, these two words, but God, these two words in and of themselves is, a, in a sense, contains the whole gospel. You hear that? But, on the contrary, all that bad that I just said, but God. On the contrary, God's intervention. That's grace. He, he thought this so much so that he preached four sermons in a row on this passage. But God, verse 4. Four sermons in a row. You wonder what the congregation thought after four sermons on the same. Would you want me to preach four sermons in a row on but God? If you understand what it's saying, yes, it's the whole gospel. It's the good news, but God, we 
but God. Dead, but God makes alive. Four sermons on that word. You were dead in trespasses and sins, but God extends life to you through Jesus Christ. But God, who is rich, abounding in mercy, unlike Allah, Allah, who is the most gracious, most merciful, at least that's what the Muslim prays. You read the Quran, it begins with, Oh, Allah, most merciful, most compassionate, and then you read the rest of the chapter, and there's no mercy, there's no compassion. It's almost like a cry, please be merciful. No, hear the declaration, God is rich, abounding in mercy. Not because of anything we have done, anything that we could do. Mercy is not earned. Mercy is the opposite of justice. Justice is what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's the definition. God in his mercy did not judge us, judged his son in your place. Even when we were dead in trespasses, verse 5. Notice the second thing. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. You were dead without life. You were dead, and God raised you to life 2,000 years ago, if you believe in Jesus. Why? 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead. And if you're in him, you rose with him. Christ rose again from the dead. We are made alive in him. We are dead, and the same power that raised Christ from the dead is able to raise those dead in trespasses and sins. Is that what Paul is saying here? Is this important to you? Is this the solution to your cancer that you've just been told you have? Here is the solution. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. It's Jesus, what he is and what he's done. He, ro- he died. He rose again. Isn't this a- wonderful? He's alive. I'm alive in him. I know we know this, but do we, do, do we, do we bring it to memory? Do we say thank you? Do we rejoice in it? Or Oh, that's, that's, that's the old gospel. Why are you... What's new? No, 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 no. This is... Essential. It is the power of God into salvation that Paul describes in Romans chapter 1, the gospel of Christ. It is through the gospel that dead men and women, boys and girls, are made alive together with Christ, are raised up together, and are made to sit, did you see that? In heavenly places in Christ. So where are you right now? Well, I'm sitting here in Dickinson, North Dakota. Well, that's true. Do you know that you're in heaven also? If you're in Christ, where's Christ? He's in heaven. Are you in him? Then you're in heaven too. You're, you're positioned, your place, your eternal place is with Christ in heaven. 
I'm not making this up. Look at it again. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive, regenerated us, brought us to life, together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together, and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Glory, glory adios. Glory to God. Right? I am in Christ. I am in heaven. That's my home. I'm already there because he's there. And what does he said? I'll never leave you or forsake you. Why? Because we're in him. We're there with him. Can anything separate us from the love of God? Paul writes. Nothing. Can you separate yourself from the love of God? No. Okay? You're a created thing. Right? Romans chapter 8. So, how do we get that? For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, how do I, how do I get that? It says there, through faith. For by grace, verse 8, you have been saved through faith. So, does God call you to believe? The answer is yes. Faith is involved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Where's that? Is that in the Bible? Did Paul say that to someone who was saying, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Is faith involved? The answer is yes. But notice what he says in verse 8. Where does faith come from? And that faith is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So what do I need to do? Cry out. Help. Right? What's the shortest prayer in the Bible? Help, Lord. Right? And we have an example of that with Peter. Help, Lord, I'm drowning. It's a simple prayer. Help. Didn't we sing, uh, I raised my Ebenezer earlier? What is an Ebenezer? Stone of help. God help. Turn from that which brought you into the state of death, your sins, your self-will, your self-serving. Right? We all do that. And even as redeemed in the Lord, do we fall back into those things? Do we, do we, yeah, that's sanctification, the work of God. Bow the knee to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Does the Bible say that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord? Is that in the Bible? Will it happen? Will the unbeliever have to bow his knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, if it says every knee shall bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, do you want to do it now, willingly, or then, unwillingly? Every knee shall bow. Jesus Christ died on the cross, took the punishment and separation we deserve for our sins. Every one of us needs to hear this and respond. Now, some of you are going to say, well, okay, I've already heard this, Pastor. Thank you for, te- for sharing that. I've already, I believe, I'm trusting, I'm resting. What about me? What does that have to do with me? If you haven't got it already, the command or the encouragement they have is what? Rejoice. 
Rejoice. Celebrate. Say thank you. Right? Is that the best way that we can... When we get a gift, what's the best way that we can respond to a gift? What does your mama tell you? Say thank, thank you. Right? I gave you candy today. Did you say thank you? You did. I think you did. Right? What about the greatest gift in all the world? Salvation and life from the dead. How can I... What what do I do? Nothing. I don't need to do anything. It's not faith plus works. but But works follow. Thank you is... The way rejoice that you are alive from the dead. Rejoice in God's riches, rich mercy and his love shown to you. Rejoice in his grace. You were dead, but now you are alive. Go back to this passage and review these things. This is where I was, and this is where I am now, and then you will never leave me or forsake me. You've gotten a good work in me. Well, you will complete it. Who's doing the will? God will. Completed. Well, what about my difficulties? What about the things I'm dealing with? What about the, the struggles? What about being told I have cancer? What do I, if I, you know, what about these things in life? How do I handle them? Don't they overwhelm what I'm talking about here? Isn't that the foundation? Is I'm alive in Christ? Who can separate me from him? Can death separate me from death from him? Can anything man do separate me? No, he's in control of everything. He's working all things together for the good, for them that love God and are called according to his purposes, right? My confusion that I'm dealing with right now, God can work all that. The struggles that I have for with the, the besetting sin, he's greater. What does it say there in verse 10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. He's the workman. He prepares the things that we do. He is preparing us to be that he actually is making us his masterpiece. He's making you his masterpiece. He's the master. The greatest artist, he created all. Do you ever sit back and just look at the clouds? We had some beautiful clouds uh, yesterday. Wow, he paints with light. He created everything, all the beauty. And you're more important than that. You're his greatest work of art. Have you ever looked at yourself that way? Why do you know? Well, because he used the tool of his own son who died on the cross so that you could be that work of art. He's shaping and molding you by personally by the Holy Spirit abiding with you. He is doing that work. Is that amazing? I'm a work of art created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now we're called to work out that faith. How do we do it? Having compassion on those around you. Again, we live in a the zombie apocalypse. What do I mean by that? Are we walking among other dead people? If Paul, what Paul is saying is true, are there unregenerate people that we work with that are walking dead people? They're animated, they're living, 
a life, but apart from Christ, they're dead. We live among a bunch of zombies. What has God called us to do? Show compassion to them. Live the gospel. Rejoice in Jesus Christ. And when God gives an opportunity, share by word and deed what he has done for you. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. What about you? Are you ready to lay down your life for others? If you're in the military, isn't that part of what we do when we honor a, a, a when we properly honor a Medal of Honor winner? Why? Because they are willing to lay down their life to save a fellow soldier. Jesus Christ calls us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. Do you realize that you've been entrusted with this gospel, with the very power of God? He raises people from the dead, and he employs us in the process. You're an instrument, a work of art. You have the opportunity to raise people from the dead. Now, that, that sounds kind of charismatic, doesn't it? Do you do it? No, God does it. But does God choose to use foolish instruments like Paul and Peter and, and you and me? Who gets the glory? God does. We have opportunity to proclaim the gospel. God saves sinners. It's not a destructive power. It's a recreative power. It's a resurrection power. Isn't that the, one of the most amazing things? It's entrusted in our care to share the good news. There are those that are ignorant, those who fear men, those who are lost. What are we called to do? Well, we're just beggars telling another beggar where to find bread. Right? That's sharing the gospel. Right? We don't have to have all our theology all worked out and everything else. Hey, I have this. Here's how you get it. Here's the bread store. His name is Jesus. Again, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because it is Christ who is strengthening me and he's doing the work. And I went on longer than I normally do, so I, will, I have pages I could do much more on this, but I think that uh, you get the message. Uh, let's, let us ask the Lord to give us that ability to rejoice, right? And if you don't know him, to believe and trust in him. Amen? Amen. Let us, let us pray. Father in heaven, Oh, Lord, please forgive me for failing to cover all the glory that's found here, the glory found in your word and in this passage. We do pray, O oh Lord, that you would enable us to go home this day, go home this week, to read these passages again, to look at it and to understand your grace. So we pray, O oh Lord, that you would uh, do that work, that you, again, you'd plant this word in our hearts that while we're driving to work or as we're going about our days, that we would meditate on and rejoice in your mercy, your love, your grace, our position in Christ, seated in heavenly places, the work you're doing to make us your masterpiece. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would rejoice, we, and those who know, us, know you not, that they would believe and trust and repent of their sins and that you would grant us opportunities to live for you, that Christ may live in us and we in him, that they may see Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let us respond to God's word by giving of his tithes and our offerings. Father in heaven, we do come before you and we do commit to you these tithes and offerings in in response to the gospel, in response to the good news, acknowledging that even these works are acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ. And so we give back to you a portion, acknowledging that you own it all. You own our lives and you own own everything that we own. And we pray that you grant us wisdom once again to manage your resources, both these which are given and those that we have still in our possession, that they would all be used for your glory's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we have, if you noticed in the bulletin, this is a day of prayer for missions, for home missions, um, for the RCUS. So you'll see in the bulletin uh, a bunch of prayer requests. We are still a mission work in the RCUS, so there we're mentioned there. There's uh, four other mission works that are mentioned. And so um, normally this is a time where we pray through the various prayer requests in the bulletin. But uh, Elder Dan, Ani, and I will pray uh, through this. And then I'm encouraging you to take this home and be praying for uh, the works of mission. So we'll take a couple minutes of this uh, time of prayer.
into uh, flat water, and that he would uh, just uh, throw the church, and that you would be glorified in it, Lord. And uh, we thank you for them, and pray for them now in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you also, Father, for the opportunity to reach the Spanish-speaking world. Uh, we thank you for raising up uh, Reverend Valentina Puche, and we ask the Lord for him, especially as he has been battling a lot of physical affliction. And so we pray again that you would strengthen his body to do the work of the ministry as well as his spirit. Uh, we do lift up to you the, the work there, the church plant that is happening in Shafter, California. We thank you also for Pastor Ruben Zartman, who is uh, also very fluent in Spanish. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would uh, continue to cause that, that church to grow uh, as they share the building there in Chapter. And we do pray, O oh Lord, for this one elder, Julio, uh, and his desire to uh, become a pastor. We pray that you'd strengthen him in, in providing for his family and at the same time training to be a minister of the gospel. And so we do pray that you'd raise him up and others. We have been praying for... Uh, uh, other pastors as well. We have churches that with, are without, and without pastors, we pray that you would um, raise them up, including our brother Julio. Heavenly Father, we uh, do raise up and pray for uh, Omaha Reformed Church of Omaha, Nebraska, Lord. We do uh, uh, lift up to you, Lord, uh, Pastor Randy Linsma. Lord, we just pray that you give him strength and guidance and Amen. And Father, we do lift up to you also Covenant Reform Chapel there in uh, Manhattan, Montana. We've, uh, we have a very close friend and sister in Christ, Ginger, that is attending there. And we do praise you and thank you that you have faithfully uh, kept that church going, that Met Chapel going, and that now they have a man that is coming and... Uh, 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 candidating to be their pastor. We hear now of a report that they have a possible new um, location that they're considering that would be better than where they have been meeting. Uh, we do, do pray that you would uh, guide and direct the church. We pray for the Home Missions Committee of South Central Classes who's overseeing the work and the church uh, in uh, South Dakota as well. And we ask that you would call that man, if that is your will, and that you would give wisdom to not only the omissions committee of classes there, but also uh, of us, because once this becomes a church, it will be received into the Northern Plains as one of our member churches. And so we ask for your blessing upon this uh, endeavor, uh, strengthen and, and increase the work there. Uh, we pray, pray that you would truly... Uh, uh, use this uh, mission work to bring the gospel to bear throughout that Gallatin Valley, throughout uh, Bozeman and surrounding communities. We also lift up to you Dickinson, Reform, uh, the Grace Reform Church of Dickinson, our church, as we are still uh, listed as a mission work in our last year on mission support. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you again would raise up uh, leadership, elders and deacons, 
and that you continue to grow the church here. Enable us to live the gospel, to speak the gospel, to glorify you. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for a closing hymn this morning, if you will please once again turn to 426. How vast the benefits divine. That would be another way of talking about what we talked about, isn't it? The benefits, the divine benefits, the grace of God. Let's sing 426. Augustus Top Lady was influenced by Ephesians 2. Sure sounds like it. Receive now God's blessing and benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.